Hey there, listener. Before you dive into today's episode, double-check your inventory order for French's Ketchup. It's as Canadian as Looney's, Toonie's, Poutine, Back Bacon, and that local beer you stock. Is it on your inventory list? Okay, good. Time for the podcast. Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Lori Nichols, the CEO of Second Harvest to the Table Talk podcast. Lori is a visionary leader and a champion of social and environmental justice issues related to food. As CEO of Second Harvest, Lori saw an opportunity to pivot a local food charity that distributed fresh, healthy food into a national food support network and international thought leader on perishable food recovery. She strategically focused on highlighting the negative impacts food loss has on climate in order to increase participation and awareness. Under Lori's leadership, Second Harvest has rescued a record-breaking $64.3 million worth of food in 2020, feeding 1.3 million people. Her guidance has changed the way Canada manages food loss and waste, including the avoidable crisis of food waste, a world first evidence-based research project identifying where, why, and how much food is lost and wasted across the supply chain. Earlier this year, Lori was selected as one of the top 25 women of influence of 2021. She was recognized for her 20 years of leadership in food recovery. From volunteering at a school nutrition program as a young mom to bringing food rescue technology coast to coast during the pandemic. Good afternoon, Laurie, and welcome to Table Talk. Thank you. Good afternoon to you. So that's uh, that's quite a bio, and you've done quite a lot of great things on the uh, on the food waste and recovery uh, landscape. And um, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you started in this field. Uh, I know in the bio it talked a little bit about being a mom. Uh, who was concerned about a few things and taking, I guess, the matter into your own hands. So tell us a little bit about what happened there. Sure. Honestly, when you read that bio, I was like, wow, that's a lot to live up to. It sounds pretty good. <laughs> sounds really good. Look at me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, my career started very organically. I was a, a very young single mom who was food insecure. And it's really that simple. So a lot of this comes from necessity. It wasn't a career path that I chose. It was a career path that chose me. Interesting. Yeah. I really wanted to make sure my own kids had food. It's really that simple. And what I had noticed was, um, you know, there's a lot of shame in a lot of this. Um, Accessing food from a food bank uh, really was something that I just was like, what happened to my life? What, how did I get here? But I was, you know, 26 with three children. So, you know, some decisions. I'd moved out when I was 15. So there was wow. a trauma in my life. So this, this started, I was, I was asked by the school principal if I would start a child nutrition program at the school. I mean, she knew the challenges I was having. I was not unique. It was mm-hmm. a, a, you know, like most schools are, there's some that are low income and some that aren't. And we really focused on universality. 
all children deserve good food and they needed to learn. And so that was the beauty of this because it wasn't stigmatizing. You could, you fed everybody. You didn't have to say I'm poor as a child and get fed, which I think was really a game changer for me, understanding that food insecurity didn't have to be a moment where you just felt horrible about yourself. When you're sure. in a position, you can volunteer and feed everybody. It was really transformational. And one of the first things we did, and it was a lot of us single moms, a lot of new Canadians, really uh, many women that were in very abusive relationships. It was a real hodgepodge of women that also had completely got lost and had no confidence. And so just for the women empowerment, like that's what I was like all about after that. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at us go. But we would knock on doors. And I remember going to Loblaws. I opened the Loblaws nearby. And we said, okay, let's get some free food. And that was my introduction to, I knew businesses had extra food. I didn't know how much. And I still don't know how much. But back then we were getting all kinds of amazing, great surplus, unsold food, pristine. This wasn't damaged food. This wasn't, it wasn't past the best before date. Not that it would have mattered if it was, because best before dates are nonsense. Yes. But we would leave this, this place, this love was with carts full of fresh pineapples because they were overordered. And it was like that Ikea commercial, you know, like, start the car, start the car. <laughs> it was like transformational. I'm not kidding. We just were, we learned a lot. We fed every child every day. That's we, amazing. It was, it's still, and, it, and I did that for quite some time. And, and that led into this, I have a big mouth. I'm a big advocate um, and people notice that right away. Plus I strongly believe in community development and I got offered other kind of big work to, to transform other schools so that they could have a community supported child nutrition program. So that was the start. What a great story. I had no idea that's how it all came about. So one school program led to other programs and, uh, and basically mushroomed from there. It mushroomed. So my background, like I always say I'm child nutrition first because I've been doing that for 20 years because I started with my own children and moved on to millions of children across the country but it really was it ballooned from from feeding the kids in my school to really training other moms how to do it in their schools because what it did is it provided them not only great access for their kids to have food but it provided them social skills it provided them um, English many of them that provided them other like confidence. Again, I cannot go back to that enough that we had lost our confidence. And then that meant they could go on to meaningful employment. They went on to school, they left abusive relationships. So it was just more than feeding students. And I did that and I advocated and I raised hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. And, and then I, I just got hired at different places to to really scale their own organization. So I, I'm a scaling expert. I would never have called myself that. That was never the goal, but that's kind of what I do is, okay, let's do more of this. This is working, let's do more. What a great story. So how did you land at Second Harvest? You've been there now for how long? I've been there now for seven years. Um, interestingly enough, I've been working nationally a fair amount and, um, and I was getting kind of burnt out from travel. And I had kids and I was like missing them. And so I thought, oh, let's go back to Toronto. Because I'd worked at some Toronto, great Toronto organizations. And I love the city. Um, and I went there and then I realized pretty early on, I'm like, oh, this place is great. But it could be so much bigger. <laughs> There's, it's just so great. There's, 
there's such opportunity here. And so that's what we did. We scaled. <laughs> Incredible. So in terms of the beginnings of Second Harvest, um, walk us through how, how it all came to fruition um, in terms of the mandate and what you're trying to achieve with, with your mission. So Second Harvest has been around for 36 years. And right. it's it, been around it's a long time, but in terms of your role, yeah. Yeah, my role, I think one of the first things that I noticed right away was we actually had a vision of no waste, no hunger, but we were really focused on the no hunger. And because of my background, I am a, a very firm advocate that providing people food will not provide food security. If you're food insecure, the only way you're going to become food secure is if you have an income that will pay for your groceries when you need those groceries and the types of foods that you need. Of course. So I'm looking at that going, eh, that's not really a story that I think we should be telling. It's like it's immediate relief. It's important. Why aren't we looking at the no waste part? We have an environmental imperative to ensure that food doesn't end up in landfill. And I don't think a lot of people were aware more now that uh, our landfills are full of food, full of them. And then the garbage gets on top of them, sorry about that. And that creates uh, methane gas, which is a direct and really significant contributor to climate crisis. And so just doing some research and understanding that, you know, the greenhouse gases from food waste alone, if it were a country, it would be the third largest GHG emitter, second to China and the USA. And once you see it that way, you're like, okay, that's the problem we're trying to solve. What's the problem we're trying to solve? If it's hunger, then we have to work on income. If it's waste, then we have to figure out how to prevent all this waste from happening. And to me, that meant that was an easier problem to solve. Right. So it gave you really a different perspective by looking at it that way. You could really put it into clear context. Yes. And I am a firm believer that charity shouldn't exist. There's clearly a problem in our society that charity exists. And so my goal in every charity is close it, shut her down, fix the problem. Don't worry. We're all employable. There's other problems to fix. So that's, that's why I looked at it this way. This problem is fixable. Incredible. So how many, um, who are some of your major customers that work with you? I know a lot of restaurants uh, are, are partners uh, with you. Tell us a little bit about how many of those companies exist and how many are actually from the food service arena. So we work with, I think, over 3,400 different brands um, with many, many different locations. And they are really across the supply chain. It can be from farm manufacturer, transportation. But we do work a lot with food service and restaurants. Um, so a national partner would be Starbucks is an example mm -hmm. of one. But we also have Sobeys and Loblaws as retail. Um, really, any kind, of, any kind of business that is operating has surplus food. No doubt about it. And so we'll work with anybody that wants to work with us. We're not membership-based. It's really, we will provide you the support you need to make sure that you can divert that food. Although we do a lot of training and education in prevention first. I truly believe prevent. If you can't, then redirect it or upcycle it or something. But I really think that we have a lot of work to do in prevention. Okay. Um, and I know that sometimes we use terms interchangeably and we, we hear words like food rescue or food recovery. Can you maybe give us a little bit of a distinction between those two terms and how they're used? Because, you know, sometimes we hear both in different ways. 
I actually think they are interchangeable, those two words. I think the ones that aren't are food loss and food waste. And because food recovery and food rescue is really just about capturing that surplus food and redirecting it to where it needs to go. Right. Food loss is across the supply chain. Food waste is everything from retail and home. Everything else, food loss. So when you're working with a restaurant, basically um, at the end of the day, whatever food has not been used or sold basically gets called into you and your company picks it up and distributes it to people in need. Is, is that very simplistic? Is that No, no that's fair. I mean, it, it happens a number of ways. And I think what's interesting at that part of the supply chain at restaurants is, you know, often that is temperature controlled food. And well, yeah. Probably 90% of it is temperature controlled right. food. So there's, you have to be extra careful with that. So we do offer, you know, food safe handling and training to make sure that that's being done correctly. But we do that at a restaurant. What typically happens is we have a innovation called the Second Harvest Food Rescue app. Mm-hmm. And so they really just upload whatever that extra food is. And that goes out to a network of charities in their own neighborhood. Like you want to localize it. Right. And then someone will claim it and they'll just go pick it up. Amazing. So it's done on a daily basis, basically. Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. Many rescues a day. So, I mean, having any conversation today without touching on COVID is almost virtually impossible. Um, How has the past year with the pandemic affected your group specifically? Um, I know in the beginning of the pandemic, there was so much outreach in the industry with communities and uh, really feeding, you know, those in need and those touched by the pandemic. There were also some challenges in getting some of those, um, you know, some of that food to people who, who needed it because of lack of resources and, and people available. How did the pandemic affect Second Harvest and what you're doing? In, in many ways. Um, I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, we pretty quickly formed something called the Food Rescue Canadian Alliance with industry, government, charities, Indigenous uh, communities in an effort to really map out this, where's the food going to be? And where is the need spiking? And, you know, as a result of all the food service and restaurants, not all of them, but so much of them closing down, mm-hmm. and it was pretty horrific. Um, but that impacted, so there's this huge amount of surplus food, but it's all kind of packaged, not kind of, it's packaged in a way that is meant for the retailer food service sector right. versus, um, well, sorry, not retail, food service and restaurants versus retail. And so that was kind of, an interesting thing to navigate in terms of how do we make this appropriate for families? So that was a big, that was, and continues to happen with the closing and opening. Like it's, I think it's pretty traumatic for this Mm -hmm. industry, all of this that's happening. For sure. Um, But also, you know, the need has, it's never been higher. There was a huge need before COVID. And so we had mapped out before COVID. So to find out where every charity and nonprofit in Canada was that was using food only to find out that there are over 60,000 of them. 60,000 is a, exactly, thank you for looking like that. It is a huge number that nobody even, I don't think anybody thought it was that high, but it is. And so we had an opportunity to scale our platform to get to all those charities and nonprofits that are always overlooked. They, they don't belong to memberships. They don't belong to anything. They're right. small. They might be rural or remote or even in the city, they're just overlooked. And we really wanted to connect with those ones mm-hmm. in addition to everybody else 
Um, and so we were able to do that a couple ways with funding, with the app, Connecting Food, and uh, the government created Surplus Food Rescue Program, which allowed us to purchase food. So that's really how we've been navigating COVID. Where's the need? Where's the food? Connect the dots, which is pretty typical of what we do every day. It just happened at hyperspeed. Sorry to interrupt your episode, but it's time for a fun fact. Did you know French's ketchup is made with 100% Canadian tomatoes? And it's produced in Canada? We're proud to show true patriot love to the farmers and hard workers of Leamington, Ontario, and beyond. So when you think it's time to make your menu even more red, think Canadian ketchup, French's ketchup. Available now to food service operators in multiple formats, including convenient mini packets, cryovacs, ball packs, and large in-house pumps. And how many people do you have working with you at Second Harvest? I believe we have 80 staff now. 80, okay. So you talked about the challenges of COVID and just getting everything where, where it needed to be. Over the last year, we've gone through a lot of different phases. You know, we've gone from total lockdown to partial lockdown and everything in between. And now we're moving into some better days with vaccinations being, you know, a lot more full scale than they were a few weeks ago. What are your expectations for the rest of the year? Um, and, and how do you think 2021 will fare out given the ongoing restrictions and how it affects your company? I, you know, I think we have to plan and be very flexible in our planning because I couldn't have predicted the last year. I, you know, we were very hopeful at the beginning that it would only be a couple of months and we didn't expect the, the myriad of, of shutdowns to happen mm-hmm. the way that they did. And so we're being thoughtful <laughs> in our planning. Um, I am hopeful that things will, actually, I'm not hopeful. That's not even fair. I'm hopeful that we'll get through COVID and that we've all learned a lesson that not only were things bad at COVID, they were bad before COVID. Mm-hmm. And so what are we doing in this country systemically to change our, our reality? Like food loss and waste happens. It happened before COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID created different food loss and waste. But at the end of it, we still have a huge amount of food that we're throwing away. We have the highest like number of people that are working precariously, gig work, people that aren't getting employed again, mm-hmm. bigger disparity between rich and poor in this country. And, and we need to figure out a better plan. So my hope is that governments get together and don't get all divisive <laughs> during election time and really do come up with a better plan with that, with the support of all of us that are citizens. And this is our country and we need to make sure that they're doing what we need to do as well. For sure. And it really, um, it it raises, I guess it goes into what I was going to ask you next. You know, we've, we've always heard about food waste and it's been an issue in our, in our daily lives as consumer, we all waste more than we'd like to admit and in food service, there was a lot of waste as well, like you said. But there seems to be a lot more interest um, in this whole topic. And it's more top of mind, I think, for all of us these days. What do you think has fueled this? Is it just a timing issue that, you know, we're more educated and sophisticated about a lot of things? Or is something fueled this surging interest? There is a lot more players, I would say. Like when I was working on this in the beginning, Nobody, we didn't talk about this. This wasn't like it was a thing, but it wasn't really a thing. And now, you know, on Instagram, there's so many people working on this across the globe. That is amazing. So part of it is information. 
I think one of the many things that are pushing this along is the climate crisis. Like this is really an easy fix, right? Let's fix it. This, this doesn't have to be complicated. And I think everybody wants to do the right thing. And this is an easy way to do it. It's a lot easier to manage than energy, right? Or fuel, fossil fuel, right? This one is like, we got table stakes in it. We all eat. We all have more control control in it. Exactly. So I think that's definitely a precipitating factor as to why the interest of this is increasing. So we often hear, and, and as a magazine that covers the food service industry, we sometimes hear that, you know, the restaurant industry is a big culprit in producing so much waste. Would you agree with that based on your experiences? Do you think it's any worse than a lot of other industries or is it just because it's easy to to criticize the food industry right exactly i think it's definitely not worse we've done the research we know that it's not um hotel restaurants and institution is like nine percent of all food loss and waste across the supply chain so we know it's not and a lot of that is plate waste so i mean we can definitely manage serving sizes a bit differently but it's not like it's it's not behind it's at the front of the house right so I, I think what happens is, and it's not, it's restaurants, but it's also retail. Everybody's like, oh, this is what's happening at my local whatever. It's because you see it, but right. you're, you don't see inside a supply chain. You don't see what's happening at a farmer or at a manufacturer. Exactly. You literally don't see it. So it's easy to point a finger that way when that's what you're exposed to. But I actually think restaurants, <laughs> restaurants are the best. Chefs are the best at reusing food, right? Like they are. They're that's chefs. True. That's what they do. Yeah. They, they don't want the, the margins are so small that they can't afford to be wasting a lot of food. So right. I actually think they're little geniuses on how they manage food loss and waste. It's not to say there's not work to do for sure. There is everywhere, but that's not the area I'm looking hard at. Okay. So when you say, you know, obviously they're, they're good at what they're doing and of course things can be better. How can restaurant and hotel operators work to reduce that even more? Even though it's 9%, yeah. which you said, it's not a huge amount. Um, and sometimes in restaurants, the waste is coming from consumers who are leaving things on their plate more than anything. Exactly. But what can they do differently or better? So I would say, um, to your point, a lot of it is plate waste. So then look at what the serving sizes are. But the truth is... The best thing I think anybody can do is measure it. I think what happens is people don't even realize, businesses don't even realize how much is being wasted at all. Waste for us is just part of our culture. We don't even think about it. We have systems in place so that when we're working with our our waste pickup, it just kind of, you don't even think about it. It's just part of our lives. Very true. So you just, you you gotta measure it. It's as soon as people start measuring this stuff, then they realize the economic value, right? Like they're not making the connection between the money you're wasting is directly connected to the food you're wasting. Right. So there is an economic argument to to not waste it. But back of the house, you know, and and restaurants, they're already good at that, but like using using one product for breakfast, for example, and then using the leftovers for lunch. You know, we all have soup of the day. We know what's in that. Right. Stuff from before. So I think there are there are definitely measuring tools that we could all be using. Um, we do audits. So if anybody wants support with a, an audit in their business, uh, Second Harvest does food waste audits, and it's just like a one and done kind of thing. It just it just kind of brings your eye to it. Right. 
Okay. So um, in working with so many different, uh, and, and I'm focusing on restaurants because that's yep. our market, but in working with so many different restaurant operators, can you help maybe cite some best, best practices from some of those restaurants that have done a really good job in this area? Absolutely. So I would say the best people in restaurants uh, when you're working for like a major chain are always uh, the people that are on the front line. They give the best advice of anybody because they see what's happening. So having a really good prevention audit in place always, understanding what your, your customer is going to eat. So you're planning appropriate portion sizes and not having those menus that are so multifaceted that you're going to end up wasting food because people aren't going to buy all of that. Right. And then understanding there is always going to be some extra waste. So how are you diverting it? How are you making sure it's either going to a charity, to a family, to um, if you can upcycle it in some way, even better, because then you can sell the upcycled product. When you say that, can you explain what you mean by that? Um, oh, upcycled. So, um, so you may have oranges on your breakfast menu and then and I think people will make orange juice with it and then they'll sell it as a takeaway. So okay. how, what kind of products are you making already that right. you can resell Make again? Something different with. Exactly. Okay. So that's one thing. And there's a lot of really cool stuff happening in that space of uh, people are taking it. Or There are a lot of organizations that are actually taking your waste, organic waste, and then creating other products. Like Loop is a great example of that where they're making juices from all this kind of way. So right. I think connecting with those kind of organizations, there's a lot of innovation going on right now. Excellent. So that really the sky's the limit here. That's fabulous. And, and your organization can help direct some of these operators to those types of companies if need be? Sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we we know a few, but there's a, there's a lot more out there that we don't know. And that's the beauty of this. So a lot of it is really simple Google search. Excellent. Um, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge for operators when they're looking to reduce their food waste? Um, you know, and it's a mindset sometimes really just putting more attention to this topic and, and, you know, they're busy and sometimes they're not even thinking about it. What's the biggest challenge in your mind, in your view? I, I think you nailed it. I think they're busy. I think that there's always, whenever you put in a new process, there's always an upfront cost, even if it's the cost is labor. So it's, it's having that mindset, okay, I know I'm going to spend a bit of extra time here. I'm going to have a staff member. You have to incorporate that labor cost because the ROI at the end is, is really going to be worth it. And I, I agree with you. I think it's just busy. Everybody's wearing a million hats. And, uh, and so it's making it a priority in your business. Okay. Um, I, I know that Restaurants Canada, in one of their reports, uh, Food Service Facts from 2019, they stated that eight out of 10 restaurant operators mentioned that increasing environmental, environmentally sustainable operations is really essential to the success of their business. Are you seeing signs of this in your dealings? And do you think that now with COVID and all the attention that has been um, put on COVID and dealing with the pandemic, will actually hinder the progress that's been made on this front? Or, or do you think that still will continue? No, I absolutely think that will continue. I think climate is the biggest challenge outside of COVID that the world is in right now. And, and there's no argument about it. Everybody's aware of it. It's not 
the science is done. And so now I think everybody's looking at how can I do my part to make sure that we are moving away from this climate crisis as best as we can. And if there's an economic benefit, fantastic. Nobody wants to waste food. I mean, I think we should start with that. Nobody wants to waste food. Not like a pre- the restaurant's like, I'm buying this store away. So for my bottom line, I'm going to make sure that I'm not doing that. So it's just a, a reality is everybody's busy. It's not their top of mind. I think about it all day, every day. I don't expect anybody else to. <laughs> so well, that's your job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So if they get to think about it a little bit in their planning, it's, a little bit goes a long, long way and really quickly. So um, I guess when you look back, you've been there seven years and the company has been around for a long time, as you said, it's got an extensive history, but can you maybe tell us a little bit about how your company has changed over the years? I mean, I, th- I see such a high profile for your company today compared to even 10 years ago. And I'm sure a lot of that has come from, you know, different focuses that you've put on it and, and different, the time itself. But how do you feel the company has changed since you've been there in seven years? I think the big change was really looking at the environmental imperative of food loss and waste. Um, I'm very much a data-driven person. I, we have, we're a charity that has a data uh, department <laughs> and that so that we can make good decisions based on that. I think those are the big changes. Everybody's passion, I will say this. I mean, Second Harvest is the greatest place to work. We have fun, we're busy, but we're passionate. I mean, how could it not be? We're saving the world, it's fantastic. Um, I think those are the big changes. And just this, this, you know, we're charity. And I think there's this charitable mindset sometimes, you know, this is the way we've always done it. So that's where we're always going to do it. Not, not everywhere for sure, but mm-hmm. certainly someplace. And I think that was this business. And then I showed up and went, nah, no, we're not. And I think that's just having a shift in vision. I'm different. I have a different vision for this. We're not doing the same old, same old. We'll continue to do the good stuff, but really being strategic about what stays, what goes. And what's our goal? And if our goal is to close the business, which it should be for every charity, how are we best going to do that? So tell me, how are you going to best do that? We're going to do it. That's a very lofty goal, I have to say. I mean, it's amazing, but it's lofty. It it is and it isn't, right? Like, as soon as you look at what's the problem we're trying to solve, and it's food loss and waste, it's a very manageable problem to solve. So the first thing I was, okay. How much is there? Oh, no data? Great. Let's do some research to figure out what the problem is. And so like you just, you have steps. So now we know this is what the problem is. How, how is it happening? Okay, where's all the charities? Okay, where's all the food businesses? So it's those little stepping stones. And then working on policy. I, I'm also a member of Canada's Food Policy Council and with a very specific focus on food loss and waste. So what are the interventions that we can play? Where's the education? What, the, what is all this nonsense about best before dates? Why do people take these so literally? This is insane. We're throwing away a lot of food. Food waste is a very new problem. There was no food waste after the war. Like people couldn't access food. Right. So this is not a century old problem. This is, so that's why I think it's actually not that big a problem to solve. We definitely have created some really bad unsustainable systems, but I think a little bit of regulation, if you have to measure, you have to monitor, you have to set very clear, specific goals, and then you have to have accountability. 
So whether that is the carrot or the stick, I have no judgment on, but the government has to get involved and say, these are our targets, we have to hit them, and there's a consequence if you don't. And that's, that's how you fix it. <laughs> you think the government is taking this as seriously as it needs to, or has it become more of a, it's fashionable at the moment and then it disappears, you know, a year later? I think that's, I want to say, yes, I think they're taking it seriously. I mean, we have the first food policy uh, council ever, which is amazing. We have a food policy. So like we're taking the right steps. I think it's, it's always scary because, you know, politicians are there for four years <laughs> thing, and then different things change. But I think food loss and waste is really something, and I've noticed because I work with, I'm nonpartisan, I work with everybody. Um, there isn't one uh, MP or MPP that doesn't get behind this. They just don't. They're, it's just so common sense. Nobody's going to say, no, we should waste more food because that doesn't make sense. Right. So even with different a, a different political uh, government in place, if that were to happen, I'm pretty confident this is something they're all going to get behind because even the, the science is clear and it's, just, it's a fixable problem. Who doesn't want to be the one that fixes it? For sure. So you mentioned a few minutes ago, the best before date, and I know that's created a lot of controversy. There's a lot more being written about it in the last year than probably ever before. And I think we're all guilty of doing that. I know when I buy my groceries, I look at the date and I go, oh, I don't know if I want to keep this. It might not be good. What do we do to educate people about that? Because you're so right. So much gets wasted that actually is usable. Totally. And it's not just in your home. It's across the entire supply chain. Like there are skids and skids, like tractor trailer loads of milk I might get because it's close to a best before date. So it can't go to retail. Like, oh my gosh. Right? Like it's wow. the amount of food that we waste in this country. We waste 58% of all the food produced, more than we eat. 58? So, is that what you said? 58. 58%. Uh, we produce enough food to feed 54 million people, I think. And there's 37.5 million of us. That so is incredible. It, it's, it's so wrong. So yeah. So, um, so best before dates, there's only five foods that expire in Canada. Five. That's it. Everything else is the best before date. I think, um, you know, there was a big campaign that when in doubt, throw it out. You might remember it. I yes. think that did a really big disservice. Um, it, best before dates are put on by manufacturers. They are not regulated by the government. They have nothing to do with food safety. They are about peak freshness. Um, and that's, again, debatable. I mean, I've seen best before dates on water, Pepsi. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, I shouldn't say Pepsi. It might have been Coke. But just nonsensical things. But right. we've trained our brains that, like, somehow this means we have to throw it away when there's no way my grandparents would have done that or my great-grandparents, like my mother's from England, the tea bag was used 15 times, you know, like right. was, that's a tea bag. So I think we have this, we've turned, we have a culture of waste in this country and it's just an accepted thing. We've created systems to manage it. We've, it's, it's nonsensical. So how do we get out of that? Education and policy and regulation. That is the only way we're going to get out of this. The government of Canada has work to do here, and I am very much a strong advocate to get them to do the work so that we, it can't just always be about us, you know, can't be, I am so tired of the consumer being blamed for everything. I'm like, very true. Yes, we have something to do, but we all have something to do. And don't blame this problem on me as a consumer. This is a huge systemic problem. 
So, well, and you're right, because for years we've been told, you know, if, if you don't use it by this date, it's not good to use. So we're throwing out stuff that we, we would love to keep, but we're afraid to keep. Exactly. A so, culture of fear. Like, yeah. it's a, again, so it's a culture of fear around your food. That does not make sense. Nobody should be afraid of their food. <laughs> Very good point. So, um, so Lori, let's talk a little bit about Toronto Taste. I know that's always been a fun event. And I know last year, obviously, it got cancelled. Yeah. Um, I guess this year, it's also cancelled. Yes. Have you done anything virtually to replace that or no? Well, what we did this year um, was a campaign called Feeding the Need. So it, was, it wasn't a virtual event. It was more of a media campaign, mm-hmm. um, which was awesome. And we had the similar sponsors that we've had in the past. Toronto Taste is something that we're looking at. But, I, you know, I am a human being. I have worked in the restaurant industry. I mean, I think everyone should work in the restaurant. You get the best skills when you work in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. You deal with any kind of personality. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Very true. <laughs> Uh, but I'm like, I look at a sector that's been decimated uh, during COVID. So, you know, the the chefs and the restaurants have been so kind to our organization for so many years. Mm-hmm. I want to know how I can help them right. versus how can you help us? So um, that's something that we're actually, we've got to survey out to our, our restaurants and chefs right now about if we were going to do this again, we don't want you to do this for free. That's how can we help you? You guys have been awesome. To this that organization makes so much sense because they have been very supportive for a long, oh, long time so supportive and you know when times are good hey great times are not good i feel sick for the restaurant industry yeah. like it's sick for it and it's i, I watched it, it is and the opening closures have been so traumatic like to get them to buy food and then to have to you know manage it yeah. differently just makes me ill like this has been so mismanaged in some ways not in all ways, but in that, in the way. No, totally. Rest. It's been so unfair, you know, to ask them to close so quickly, but then also to reopen on a matter of a couple of days notice. Yeah. 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 So my job is how can I help them if I can? I, there's not a ton I can do, but if I can, and we can as an organization, we will. And we are. That's great. So as a way to wrap up our conversation, because our time is running out so quickly, it's gone by so fast. Um, when you look at the last year and the pandemic and all the changes that it's fueled for everybody, um, you know, everybody's, every life has been affected one way or another. What has been the biggest lesson for you that you've learned through the pandemics the last 15 months? And it could be related to your organization or also to your own personal life and, and or about yourself. I'm not, that's a great question. I'm not sure that I have. Sounds terrible. No lessons? <laughs> I mean, a billion lessons. So it's hard to pick one, right? I like know. It's just been, I mean, I think what it did is, has proved a lot of things to, to me that I, I think I instinctively knew. And then I was like, yes. So, I mean, collaboration. I've always been a strong supporter of collaboration. Um, but COVID really, really shone a light on that. If you don't do things together, nothing's going to get done and you can't save the world by yourself. So everybody it's, we're only going to save the world together. So I think that collaboration part was critical mm-hmm. for the organization as a whole. 
uh, the organization, the country as a whole, because it, it allowed us to work with so many players across the country. So uh, again, and it's industry, it's everybody. We're in it together. Personally, I don't know. I, you know, I gotta be honest with you. I'm very concerned about all these pets and when people go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Everybody's pet has been loving this. <laughs> Where has everybody gone? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, that's cute. I love that. Well, I think those are some great lessons. Even the pet one is, is a great lesson. Um, and I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. I mean, you, you do such wonderful work at Second Harvest. And I know um, it's really a big part of the Toronto community. And, and I look forward to seeing it grow and evolve even further once the pandemic is, is, is over with. Yeah. Then we'll have a big party. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here and making time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This was fun. All right. You take care. Stay safe. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.